morning, church. Good morning. My name is John Evangelist. I'm a prospective elder here at Uniontown Bible Church. Today's reading is going to be from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. I'll give you a moment to open your book, your Bibles. The nature of the Son. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father God, we are grateful to be able to have this time to immerse ourselves in your word today. Let it fill our minds with peace and understanding. We lift up Frank to you as he unpacks this reading. May your spirit guide him in his words and thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. All right. Hebrews. Hey, before we get there, it's raining out. And I know a lot of places would be like, it's raining out. But I think we might live in one of the areas of the country where like, praise God, it is raining out, right? So that's right. There you go. <laughs> Got to get you. Never mind. I'll stop. <laughs> That was my one moment of discernment for the service, so we're in for fun now. Um, we are getting ready. We're going to jump in, and we're going to start a series in Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews for quite a while. We're going to split it up a few different ways and a few different um, um, seasons. So like this, this, this particular season where we're in the book of Hebrews, we are going to follow this up through the end of chapter 6. That'll bring us almost to Christmas time. And uh, once we get to Christmas time, then, then we're going to take a little uh, 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 detour and get in some Christmas messages and then come back to Hebrews. So we'll be back in and out of Hebrews from now until next September. So your Bible should have a very well-worn path to the book of Hebrews. Um, it's much easier than Malachi. You are welcome. I um, heard a story this week that actually kind of, um, kind of connected a little bit with the introduction to the book of Hebrews. There's a man in Trumbull, Connecticut, who was just going about his daily things, and he's walking through a, a parking lot, and there was an envelope on the ground, no identifying features on it at all, and he picked up the envelope, and he brought it to his car, and he sat down, and he opened the envelope, and inside of it was $5,000. Anybody wish they found that envelope this week? All right, 5000 bucks. Dude finds 5000 bucks, and he employs the oldest of American laws that is known Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. He takes the 5000 bucks and he, he spends it. And then come to find out, there's more to the story. Because you hear that part of the story, you're like, well, he, and he should. I mean, you probably might want to look for the owner of the money. But, you know, you found it. Good on you. Well, there's pieces of the story that he didn't share with the people around him. Pieces of the story like this. The parking lot that he found the $5,000 envelope in was a bank parking lot. The envelope that he found the $5,000 in actually was one of those bank bags that has the zipper on it. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and because it's at a bank parking lot, as you would imagine, there's some cameras around. 
And so this week, the man was charged with larceny. He's, they're charging him with stealing the money. He's like, but finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And they said, yep, you were a finder, so I hope you, you kept it, and now you get to experience the loser part of that. Um, there's, there's a lot of discussion about it, but, but here's, here's the long and short of it. Had it been what he presented it to be, an envelope filled with something, but there's no address on it, no return address on it, and you open it up and no identifying features inside of it, you just find cash, but, but no idea of, of where it should go. If, if it was just all of that, that's one thing, but there were all these identifying features. The book of Hebrews is missing almost all of those identifying features that would help us have key information about the background of the book. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who it was written to. Uh, we, we, don't know, um, we don't know where it was written from. We don't know where the people were who received the book. We don't know when it was written. There's all kinds of things about the book of Hebrews we don't know. It's like looking on the outside of a, of a blank envelope. When we get into Hebrews, though, there's a lot of things that we can, we can discern. Some internal evidences like we believe the book of Hebrews was probably written between 60 and 70 A.D. before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, mostly because as you read through Hebrews, it speaks of temple sacrifices as if they were currently going on. And so that would lead us to believe it was written before the temple sacrifices were shut down. As you read the book of Hebrews, you see that it is written to a group of people. And, and, and see if this sounds familiar to anybody. A group of people who are on the verge of turning their back on Christianity and returning to their old way of life. Christians who were tempted to leave Jesus and the church behind because they just weren't sure if, if Jesus was the answer or at least if Jesus was the, the only answer. Have you heard about any of that happening in our culture today? So whoever gave us this book of Hebrews is speaking to a people who are shaking and he's, he's grabbing them by the shoulders and he's looking them in the eyes and he's saying, stay anchored in Jesus. And so that's what you're going to get as we walk through the, the book of Hebrews. Obviously, the number one mystery of the book of Hebrews that's spoken about all over the place is, well, who, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Who is the author behind this, this treatise, this, this epistle, which is almost an epistle? Well, okay. There's a lot of options out there. A lot of people are like, well, we'll go with the safe answer. Let's just say Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. We'll say Paul. Some problems that I have with that is the book doesn't begin like all of the other books that Paul has written. There is no greeting. There is no thanksgiving. There is no doxology at the beginning that talks about the glory of who God is and the, the grace and mercy and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of those familiar words that Paul uses as he writes letters, that's missing. So I, I doubt it was Paul. Who do I think it is? I don't know. Could be Barnabas. I don't know why I think that. I read it in a book somewhere, so that's why I think that. Could be Barnabas. Could be this guy named Apollos. Now, this is where I actually, I kind of think it's probably this guy, Paul. Apollos comes up in the book of Acts, chapter 18, I think it is. And as he's spoken about, the, 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 uh, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, says, Apollos, this man was so gifted in knowledge of Scripture and incredibly eloquent, but he just didn't have that final piece of the puzzle. He just didn't understand how Jesus fulfilled all of the Scriptures. 
and tell this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, come aside, uh, alongside him and they teach him in the way. So, so here you have this incredibly eloquent man who is incredibly familiar with the Old Testament and now he's being discipled in the way of Jesus. And as you read through the book of Hebrews, you hear, even in our passage this morning, you hear a beauty and an eloquence that's unfamiliar in other places in Scripture. So I think it might be Apollos. There are some, and I'll just throw this out there just to make most of you uncomfortable, which I like to do. It's very enjoyable. That's why I wore a suit coat today, by the way. Half of you are like, somebody. <laughs> Don't get used to it. Half of you are like, somebody kidnapped our pastor. Something's gone horribly wrong. Um, some people think, I can't believe you clapped. Some people think, some people think that actually instead of Apollos writing Hebrews, it could have been Priscilla, the one who taught Apollos about how the Old Testament points to Jesus and how he fulfilled all of the Old Testament. And, and so there's, there's a lot of discussion about that. Here's, here's the real answer. I'll give you the truth. I mean, we don't know. So as I go through the book of Hebrews, I promise you, I will refer to the author as Paul and Peter, even though I don't think either of them wrote Hebrews. Not on purpose, either. Uh, I'm going to try to refer to the author as the author. So all of those things we don't know. Here's what we do know. You crack open that envelope and you find 5,000 bucks in there, you know you had a good day. You crack open the book of Hebrews, you know it's a good day. Because what you find is the message of Hebrews is this, no matter no matter who or what you hold up next to Jesus in comparison, whether that be angels, whether that be the old prophets, or the priests, or the old covenant, the sacrifices, or even the idea of rest, or, or even the, the promise of this wonderful land where there's, there's, there's the milk and honey, no matter what you hold up and you compare it to Jesus, everything else fades away because Jesus is always greater than that's the message of Hebrews. He is greater than anything that has come before him. He's greater than anything that will come after him. As you get to the book of Hebrews, it just simply starts. You know, there's, no, there's no welcome. There's no introduction. You look at verse 1 of, 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 of Hebrews chapter 1. I mean, it, it just starts. It starts, quite honestly, like Star Wars. Long, long ago, in a galaxy far away, you can see the scrolling coming up. And that's what the author is trying to do. He's like, listen, I want you to think back. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So what he's doing is he's setting the context. He's trying to get you prepared to introduce Jesus into the conversation. And he says, listen, as you remember, long, long time ago, there was this backstory that happened. And in this backstory, God acted, God communicated, God spoke. And what he did is he spoke through these people called prophets. What's a prophet? A prophet is somebody who speaks for God. He's the mouthpiece of God. He speaks the, the word of God. And as you look through the Old Testament, you find more than 60 prophets. And as you look at how God used each and every prophet, not only were there 60 different prophets, as our author says here, they were used in many different ways. God spoke through each of them very differently. So, so okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put probably both of us on the spot right now. So let's see how this goes. This was a, a, a roaring failure during staff meeting on Wednesday. So I'm just going to tell you that right now. Don't overthink this answer. Ready? 
As you consider the Old Testament, as you consider the stories of the Old Testament, the stories maybe that you prefer over the other ones, what is your favorite story about a prophet in the Old Testament? What's that? Elijah. Elijah's a great one because you got Elijah. Elijah gives us all the sides, right? Elijah, you got him up on the mountain, and he's making fun of the prophets of Baal, which I personally enjoy. I mean, Elijah sits there, and he's like, go ahead, you guys start. And after hours of the prophets of Baal trying to get fire from their, their false god, Baal, Elijah's kind of like, maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, maybe you should yell louder. I mean, he just goes nuts on him. And then finally, Elijah steps in and says, I got this. Dump some water on it. Dump some water on it. Dump. What he's doing is, okay, tie both hands behind my back. Let's go. All right, Lord, show them you're God and that Baal is not. And fire falls down and consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, consumes all the water, and then the prophets of Baal are dead. But here's an amazing thing. As God used Elijah to speak, right? You fast forward a few days, where is Elijah? Alone? In the wilderness? Depressed? Discouraged? Asking God just to take his life. Hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. All right, what other, what other favorite story in the Old Testament of a prophet comes to mind? Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, you've got all kinds of stuff happening in that book, right? Daniel's interpreting dreams after dream after dream after dream, right? He's just kind of like, hey, this gun, there's this one. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar's going to happen. It didn't go well for him a few times. Um, but Daniel, he, he was courageous. He stood up. He spoke. Perfect. Good. Give me another one. What was that one? Holda. Kirsten, you can go home now. All right, next one. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you and transparent. I'm going to have to go home and study Hulda. Thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> All right, next for Stump the Chump. Come on. <laughs> Give me another one. What's, a, what's another Old Testament prophet? What was that? Jeremiah. <laughs> I love me some Jeremiah. Jeremiah had the worst job ever, right? God's like, Jeremiah, you're going to go to your people and you're going to prophesy. And here, you ready? Here you go. Here's, here's your pay. Nobody will ever listen. It feels like parenting. <laughs> right? You're going to call people to submit to me and return to me. And what's going to happen is you're just going to be blown off. And the picture is this. Just like I have been, Jeremiah. That's how my people treat me. He's, Jeremiah is the perfect picture of object lessons, right? Chapter 19, he's got the clay pot. Just break it, what's going to happen? But there's another object lesson that some of you probably don't recognize are from the book of Jeremiah. Why, why don't you do this? Because it's going to be your new life verse. It's actually, my daughter and I talked about this last night. It's our new life verse. Um, go to Jeremiah uh, chapter 13. Just turn over Jeremiah 13. Keep your finger in, in, in there. I knew somebody was going to say Jeremiah, and if you didn't, I was going to say it, because this is hilarious. Jeremiah 13 is the, the object lesson Prophet, <clears throat> Jeremiah 13, this is how God chose to speak through Jeremiah to his people. Some of you already have your little, your, your titles and you're all like, mm -hmm. okay, here you go. It's in the Bible, right? And they teach me, just preach the Bible. Preach about, you'll be okay. Just preach the Bible. Jeremiah 13, verse one, this is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy yourself a linen undergarment and put it on. But do not put it in water. Evidently, dry clean only. Verse 2, everybody's new life verse. So I bought underwear as the Lord instructed me and put it on. Amen? Amen. All right, amen. 
But the story gets weirder. The Lord came to me a second time and says, okay, take that underwear that you had bought and are wearing, go at once to the Euphrates, hide it in a rocky crevice. So I did. I went to the Euphrates and the Lord commanded me. Okay, that's junior high camp. Okay, we'll keep going. Verse 6, long time later, God said, go to the Euphrates, get the underwear I commanded you to hide there. So I went to the Euphrates, I dug up the underwear, I got it from the place where I had hidden, but it was ruined of no use at all. When God says, I'm going to use many different prophets in many different ways, he's not messing around. What he's saying through Jeremiah here is this, I have held you as close to me as I possibly can. And you've tried to just put me off. And then just come running back to me like everything's okay. And what you're going to find is everything's not okay. Many prophets, many different ways. I got time for one more. Give me another one. Ooh. What's Jonah. Jonah. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> My ADD could not handle that. Jonah. Jonah. Jonah is the most reluctant prophet you will ever meet. I do not want to go there. I do not want to go there. I do not want to go there. And so he gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction of where God had called him. God, God does his God thing and says, you can't run from me. I'm always here. Brings up the storm. Jonah gets tossed overboard, spends chapter two of Jonah in the belly of the whale. Chapter three, Jonah reluctantly goes to preach to a people who have done nothing but make his life miserable. Preach to a people who have attempted to turn their back on God, remove God from their society and culture altogether and serve another God. Or in their case, other gods. They've been cruel to God's people. And Jonah was a recipient of the cruelty. And he had no desire to go and show to those people the same grace that God had shown to him. So not only is he reluctant, he is the most boring preacher you will ever listen to. Because his entire message is encapsulated in this one phrase. 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And the entire country repents. Because... God's going to use many different prophets in many different ways. Can I give you a couple more? Here's another crazy one. Uh, you ever heard the story of Balaam? You know who the prophet in that story was? Balaam's donkey. As he's riding on the back of a donkey, God speaks through the donkey. I am regularly reminded that God could use a donkey to do what I do. Seriously. You've got um, stories. Man, I've got a whole list of here, just, but, I, but I did not have a hold of So that's the one that I must. I gotta add that one, I guess. Um, uh, Ezekiel, I heard Ezekiel. Ezekiel's got a bunch of pictures too. Ezekiel basically took a, a clay tablet and he drew a picture uh, of Jerusalem's temple, and then he built a little Lego set almost, and he laid next to it for three hundred something days to, to picture the, the 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 besieging of the city and how that would go. And he uses another picture. He shaves off his hair with a a sword, and he takes a third of it, and and he uh, uh, sets it on fire. Takes a third of it, and he throws it into the city, and then chases after it with his sword. And he takes a third of it and sets it aside and lets the wind just carry it away. I mean, he's trying to paint the picture for the people. Listen, you've got to hear. God is coming in judgment. You've got to hear what's going to happen. A third of you are going to die. A third of you are going to live this tormented life as you run for your lives. And a third of you are going to be scattered all over the world. God is coming in judgment. So, so Ezekiel very clearly does that. Hosea, Hosea, 
uses his marriage. God uses the marriage of Hosea as his prophetic word to his people. I want to make sure that you understand how much I love my people and how betrayed I have been. I want you, Hosea, to go and marry a prostitute. Have children with that prostitute. And after years, she is going to leave you. And she's going to live with another man. And every gift that you continue to give to her because you love her so much and you just want her to return. Every time you give her a gift, she's going to look at this other foreign man and say to him, thank you so much for the gifts you've given me. And Hosea, as if the insult couldn't be worse, what I want you to do is I want you to leave your home and I want you to go find her and I want you to purchase her. And she's going to be sold for half price. And you're going to bring her home and you're going to love her. That is a picture of the love that God has for us. God is so intent on communicating his love towards us that he's going to use many prophets in many different ways. My favorite prophet, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, it's this this great prophet who, who argues with God and we get to listen to the argument. God is going to use many prophets in many different ways. He's not going to just lecture us. He's not going to bring one preacher towards us. He's not going to have one type of prophet. He's going to have many prophets in many different ways to me- communicate a single message. The message is this. God is holy, and you are not. You're sinful. God is not. And God is going to continue to offer you opportunities to return to him, to turn from your, 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 your sinful ways, to turn your back on your sin and run back to him. And God says through his prophets, I'm going to make a, a way for you to have peace with me. But here's the crazy part. Even in the Old Testament, as God creates this way for us to have peace with him, we even corrupt that in the Old Testament. You are so very broken. You are so very rebellious. If you return to me, if you repent, if you return, you can enjoy my favor. If you don't, you're going to experience judgment. The message of the prophets proclaiming the word of God to a lost and broken people, telling them there's hope for those who return. And our author says to us, listen, you know that's been God's way in the past? To come to us, to communicate his great love, grace, and mercy towards us. And he did it through many prophets in many different ways. But now, look at verse 2. In these last days, just a a quick comment about that one phrase, because that can really throw people. In these last days, in the New Testament, when you see that phrase used, these last days, what it's talking about is the days from when Jesus was born till Jesus returns. So if you get asked, are we in the last days? Well, yes, we're in there, but so was Paul, okay? So that's what's being said. He says, okay, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Though, 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 though God spoke to the prophets before and used a multitude of ways to communicate his message, now there's a voice that's greater than any other voice. And it's the voice of Jesus Christ. The prophets were great. Their messages were powerful. They were true. Jesus comes along and is now the greatest prophet. Now, he's not just the one who comes to speak for God as the mouthpiece of God, speaking the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. 
that makes him the greater prophet, the greatest prophet. He's the full and final revelation of who God is. This talks about how he is the radiance of the glory of God. That talks about the shine that comes from God. Don't do this. Please don't do this. And today, you can't because it's not out, so that's good. But if you were to walk outside and stare at the sun, the, the, the brightness, the, the shine, the glory of the sun would actually hide the sun. You couldn't see the actual sun. You would just see, well, you would see spots for a long time is what you would see. And then you would see nothing. So don't do that. The glory and the power of God is seen as we look at Jesus. This comes up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain with, with Jesus and the prophets arrive and, and Peter opens his mouth because that's what Peter does and says, we should build some tabernacles here. That'd be awesome. And, 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 and God speaks and says, this is my son. Listen to him. I interpret that as God saying, this is my son. Peter, stop talking. And in that moment, the glory of God began to shine through Jesus. We see it again in Acts as Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus. And Jesus appears to him in this bright, glorious image. See, see he's the greatest prophet because he reveals who God is by revealing his full glory to mankind. He's the greatest prophet because the exact expression of God himself. He's the imprint of God himself. That word is speaking uh, about the, the ring, the signet ring. And you would take the, the, the hot wax and you take the ring and you would, you would seal something with it. It would take the form of whatever was on the ring. This says Jesus is that exact imprint of God himself. So if you look at Jesus, you see God. Colossians tells us that. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John tells us that. He's the fullness of deity here in, in bodily form. So if the purpose of the prophets is, is to communicate the very word of God, Jesus Christ is the greatest prophet because he is the word of God. There is no better revelation or communication of who God is. We see in Jesus the full character, the full attributes, the full personality of who God is. He's the greatest prophet. He's also the greatest priest. We're going to hear as we study the book of Hebrews about different priests and high priests and, and them doing their, their daily work in the temple as they bring sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. And, and Hebrews even gets to the place where it, it does a word play on the consistency of this. He does this day after day after day. The, the picture being this, this endless, relentless job security that nobody really wanted. There were no chairs in the temple for the priests to sit because there was no time to sit the priests were busy about the sacrifices and they would end each day knowing that tomorrow more sacrifices but then hebrews tells us that jesus does more than they were ever able to do after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of god jesus brought the ultimate and final sacrifice for sins and that sacrifice was himself. He achieved total forgiveness for those who had put their trust in him. He didn't just bring the greatest sacrifice. He is the greatest sacrifice. And why did he sit down? Well, in his own words, because it's finished. He's the greatest prophet. He's the greatest priest. He's the greatest king. You, you hear it in, in beautiful, poetic language throughout verses 2 and 3. You hear the 
the royal nature of, of Jesus being celebrated. You hear his majesty. You hear his authority. See, he's the, he's the heir of all things. The whole world, all of its wealth, all of its riches, all of its honor, all of its glory is going to him as the king of kings. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. It's not as if Jesus created and then walked away like the guy who's spinning plates and he spun the plate and walked away until it all fell apart. No, Jesus, if Jesus stopped sustaining you, you would stop existing right now. That's how majestic and powerful and glorious he is. And then when he's done with his work, he sits in the highest seat of honor at the right hand of the Father. That's our king. The sovereign ruler who spoke everything into being by his powerful word keeps all things together. And in his eternal grace and mercy, he did something no other king would do. He died for his enemies. Think about that. What king dies for his enemy? What king at great expense to himself, great cost to himself, purchases the freedom of the ones who continue to rebel against him? See, through his life, his death, his blood, his sweat, his tears, that penalty has been, been paid in full. And through his resurrection, he's demonstrated that he has had victory over sin, over death, over the grave. He has proven himself to be king. Let me ask you a question. I think many of us, I do. I'm going to be honest. I do. Uh, I tend, as I let my mind wander in my prayer life, um, in, in, in everyday life, I tend to think of Jesus strictly as my Savior. And praise God, he is. But what would happen if we spent time considering the fact that Jesus is our king? That he's sovereign over everything. That all things exist because he wills them to exist. That nothing could ever usurp his authority. Nothing can ever push him off the throne. He is king and he will be king. That all of history flows from him and to him. What if we spend some time considering that that's our Jesus? Our prayers would sound different. The way we think would be different. Change, it would certainly change the way we face challenges. Our anxiety, our worry. See, we have to understand. Jesus was not someone who arrived for a season. And then when he had accomplished what he came to accomplish, just went away. Jesus is our victorious king. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He has defeated sin. He's defeated death for us. He rules over all things for us. And, and as our sovereign Lord and King, he's able to work all things together for his glory and for our good. Jesus is our victory over sin and death. That's our King. So as the author of Hebrews is going to tell us in the future weeks, stop looking anyplace else. Don't look back. Don't look forward. Don't look up. Don't look down. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the cause for everything. He's the reason for everything. He's the goal of everything. He is the savior of his people. He brings forgiveness, rescue, and redemption. And that's only found in him. You're not going to find that anyplace else. 
And here's this. When he was done, he sat down in a place where we can access him regularly. What kind of king is that? That his little peasant people could come boldly into his presence, could call on him, and he hears us. What kind of king is that? That promises to people, I will never go away, and we can actually hear that and believe it. Hebrews is going to tell us, fix your eyes on Christ, because he is the greatest king that has ever existed and ever will exist. We should listen, right? Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for the author of Hebrews, whoever that might be. Thanks for the way they communicate so very clearly to us, not only in, in, in deep and theological ways, but in ways that are meaningful to our everyday life that we can apply immediately. God, I pray for the one here this morning who may have, have just heard about Jesus, never understood who Jesus was. I pray today would be the day that they confess that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no way to the Father but through him. God, I pray today would be the day that they would cry out with their mouth what their life has demonstrated every day, that they are broken, they're separated from you because of their sin, and that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And then, God, I pray for the rest of us. Lord, I pray you would help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Would you, would you lift us above the, the, the craziness of our culture today? Would you, would you cause us to see Jesus more clearly? God, you, you have given to us the greatest prophet, priest, and king that we could ever have possibly imagined. <laughs> Thank you for Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to close, and I'm going to ask you to stand and sing with us. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm going to invite you back to our prayer corner.